Life, a podcast of the cinema, hosted by, by you. Okay. Well, <laughs> How's by you? <laughs> good and you? Alonzo Duralde, that's you. You're the co-host. Yes. Dave White, that's me. I'm the other co-host. Correct. We're film critics. Yes. We're married. Yes. We both write for the rap. Yes. You do a million other podcasts that are not this one. Pretty much. And we're here to tell you about the current cinema. Yes. The current films that you can watch. Is it suddenly raining outside? Is that I, why? That's what I'm hearing. Is that why the apartment became so like immediately dark all well, of a sudden? Yeah. Why else do you think it got right. dark at two thirty? So <laughs> the uh, if you've been paying attention, our big job, our big, our big idea was to go back to Sunday recording. Sunday recording, like. In olden days. You made the and mistake of saying it out loud. I did. And then we both got sick. Yes. We both caught colds. Not COVID. Not COVID. We both caught colds. And uh, we're on the way out the door with them, I would yeah, say. Yeah. There's a you're, mend going on. You're a little bit better off right now than I am. I'm still very coughing uh, and, you know, slugging down uh, hot liquids all day. I'm sorry. Is it hailing outside, too? What's the noise that I'm hearing? Just... Water hitting things. I All know right. it's unusual around here. But okay. Um, so, uh, I'm in that period where I'm no longer taking the cold medicine, but I'm realizing how hungover I am from having been taking the cold medicine. Yeah. That's so, a good, uh, that's such a good thing. No, I hate it. You I'm don't in, like it. I'm in another world of, and I sitting at my desk, I'm exhausted, and then lying down for a nap, I'm wired. There's just enough NyQuil left in that bottle mm-hmm. for like one more night. All right. I'm going for it. So you know what? Don't even use a spoon. Just chug it. No, I need to make sure that I've measured it properly oh, okay. because I've had that problem before. Fine. Where I just thought, oh, I know how much is enough. <laughs> I'll just eyeball it. And then I was throwing up everywhere. Oh, that I remember. Remember that? that? Yes. Please don't chug it. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> I was, listen, I was only dumb once. Then I got scared straight. Gung, <laughs> gung. <laughs> Um, in the, uh, in the time since we last met, the Academy Award nominations were delivered unto us. Yes, they were. And, uh, have, were you surprised by anything? If you, we're not going to go through the list because no. if you want to do that, you can go look it up yourself. Christy and I talked about this for like an hour plus on YouTube on right. breakfast all day. If you want to go hear that. Did discussion. anything surprise you? Well, yeah. I mean, I did not think Paul Mescal was going to pop up in the Best Actor no, category. No, I didn't, for I didn't anticipate that either. Uh, definitely didn't see the uh, Andrea Riseborough, and now I'm hearing it's 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 Riseborough. Okay, so now it's not Andrea; it's Andrea, and it's also Riseborough, not Risborough. I don't know anything. Who knows what her name? Who knows how to say her actual name? Uh, she and probably her. I've husband, seen I'm her. Guessing? I've seen her in so many movies. Yes. Over and over and over again for a long time now. She's been around. Yeah. And, you know, you and me, we are film critics. We and see, so we saw all, the, all the tiny movies that she was we've in. We've seen, seen all the seen tiny movies that she was in. You know what tiny movie we didn't see that she was in? To Leslie. To Leslie. That's the one yes. she's nominated for. We will try and circle back around to that one. Um, uh, are they re-releasing it to theaters? It is. They are, actually. Oh, yes. are they? All and right. it's streaming. It's already streaming? Yes. All right, cool. We'll get to it. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so that did not see that one coming, and that's apparently caused a bit of a kerfuffle over, you what? know. Why? Uh, well, apparently. I haven't really been 
paying attention. Uh, you know, the, the, the Academy has rules about, like, you know, campaigning. And obviously, everybody campaigns, and everybody hosts screenings, and everybody blah, 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 blah. But You can write a letter to God and put it in variety. You can certainly do that. And that is okay? Well, it's okay. You'll be laughed out of town. But, All right. You know, okay. Nonetheless, uh, what happened here was that uh, the director of the film is married to actress Mary McCormick. Who apparently has a very extensive Rolodex of people that she reached oh, yeah, out to. Yeah, she's been around. She's been around a long time, yes. and she knows everybody exactly. So she got all these celebs to tweet about the film and, talk, and screen the film and talk about it. And that's within the rules. Well, yes. that is within the rules. However, right. a lot of those tweets have been using a lot of the same verbiage. But that again, that is also not against the rules. Right. The thing that is against the rules is oh, they, they found they found something that's against there the rules. Is. Okay, what? And and none of it is the fault of of the actress whose name we can't say. Right. Um, the, the the you what people are forbidden from doing is uh, bad mouthing the competition while touting who the they, person they're who touting. Bad, who bad mouthed whom? Enter Francis Fisher. Francis Fisher bad mouthed. She well she didn't bad mouth exactly, but in one she did a, she did an Instagram tweet, uh, yes. Instagram tweet, an Instagram uh, post about. To Leslie. Get it, get it right, Grandpa. And basically said, well, according to Pete Hammond, only 218 members of the actor's branch have to list her as number one to get her a nomination. Okay. This is how math-driven this whole thing has become. All right. Uh, at least what did, When did Pete Hammond say this? Heck if I know. I don't read him. Um, anyway... And so she basically, <laughs> she, what Frances Fisher did was then say, it seems like um, Kate, Kate meaning Kate Blanchett, Michelle meaning Michelle Yeoh, Viola meaning Viola Davis, and Danielle meaning Danielle Deadweiler are all pretty much locked in. How, how would she know that? Well, she didn't because as, as we found out. But that's not talking, that's not bad mouthing anybody. It, okay, but, but it's, but it was. You still brought up the competition in terms of vote for X, not for Y. That's what is forbidden in the Oh, I see. You can say vote for X all you, you want. You can say, all right, you can't. So what she is sort of obliquely saying yes. is you don't need to vote for those other women they're because good. they're good. Yeah. Oh. And turns out pretty they, sneaky. They weren't she good. She had no idea. They weren't good. Viola Davis and Danielle Detweiler were both not nominated. That is correct. Here. Yeah. Um, which of course brings up the, I mean, it, it brings up a version of the hashtag Oscar so white conversation because this year was really good for Asian American representation yes. and Asian representation with Michelle Yeoh and Kei Hui Kwan and Stephanie Hsu. Yes. Stephanie Hsu, by the way, first queer performer nominated for playing a queer character since Ian McKellen in Gods and Monsters. Oh. That's how long it's been. Oh. Plenty of queer characters nominated since then, always right. played by including Stephen. one this year, uh, Brendan Fraser. Uh, yes, but and I don't know who. Oh, and 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 of course Lydia Tarr, who uh, Lydia Tarr, yes, plays Lydia Tarr exactly. In so, the film but lots of straight, Tarr. lots of straight people taking on these roles. Uh, that joke in Bros still holds true. What well, it does, yeah, it does. Uh, any? Did you have any thoughts about the nomination? I know you care even less than I do about. I, this. I here. I, I say this every year, and it still holds true. I care about spectacle. I care about outfits. I care about bad behavior. I care about 
what I'm going to eat while I watch the show. Mm. Where I will be watching the show. Yes. I always watch the show. I sit down on that couch at three in the afternoon for the red carpet. Right. I'm already in my pajamas. <laughs> the food is by my side. I will not be eating uh, on our new couch. Of course, no, I, I knew year. that was not happening. In the past, I have eaten entire bowls of pasta on yes, the couch. Have. That is no longer what's happening. Uh, we have a new couch. Uh, yes. And I, uh, I'm, I'm, what, what, when is it happening? March whatever? Uh, 12th, I believe. March 12th? Do you at least think about, well, isn't it great that a bunch of people who maybe weren't going to see After Sun are now going to? I, I... I I am happy that more people will now see After Sun. Yeah. Because I think it's a beautiful film. Uh, and I am am happy that he's nominated. Yeah, I, that's yeah. how I feel about women talking getting into best picture and right. best um adapted screenplay because yeah. that was on my top 10 list last year. It's just now opening wide and apparently it's the only movie sort of benefiting from like a big post nomination bump. And it's doing it the way that movies used to regularly do it all the right. time, which is like that right. you would have like your your little platform release, but then you would really go big for that Friday after the nominations. This year, so much stuff is already on streaming, or it's like Avatar, where it was just going to keep making money anyway. Uh, but but Women Talking is the one that's sort of following the traditional model of like getting a nice boost from the nominations, and so I'm happy for that because I, I do want more people to see that movie. Um. My favorite uh, nomination is uh, Diane Warren. Oh. Now, my question about that is this. Does this movie actually exist? Fewer people saw that film uh-huh. than saw to Leslie. <laughs> so... How did how does how does that work? Is that well, a, does the song thing happen in a whole other different way? Uh, I, well, here's the thing. I think it's not like <coughs> it's not like you have to go watch the entire movie for the song thing. I'm sure right. everybody who votes in that category got a CD or a link right. to hear the song. Diane Warren sent them a CD. Yeah, in a in a muffin basket. <laughs> you know, it's like remember that year that Ellen Burstyn got nominated for an Emmy for a movie that she was in for like ten seconds. Because people no, just, I don't remember people that just saw her name on the bell. I was like, oh, Ellen Burson. I oh, kinda, she's great. Yeah. I, I think that's how it works with <laughs> Diane Warren in the Academy at this point. But yeah, this is a movie that I searched my emails to see had I would did I get information about it? Was I invited to a press screening? Was I given was I sent an email about opening day? Right. I found an old email from uh, a, uh, an entertainment website telling me that it had been acquired by Samuel Goldwyn, and that's it. Oh, wow. Crickets. So basically, right. it screened at 10 a.m. for a week at, you know, the, at the lovely Monica. Glendale or something. Right, right. And now it has an Oscar nomination. But okay. yeah, it's, I don't know if it's going to well, open. Then everybody get off Andrea Risborough's nom. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't think that anybody involved with getting her uh, nominated did anything wrong. I mean, everybody has their degree of hustle when it comes to like getting your movie out and right. your movie in front of the right people. Yeah. Um, and you know, they, they had zero budget from their distributor to do so. Right. You know, a lot of these, the majors pump millions into this and it's a whole long process that takes up most of the year, but like momentum, Alyssa, which released Alyssa Wilkinson. Leslie, was it Alyssa Wilkinson that wrote the, the vice piece that you wrote? Yeah. 
or no, not Vox, 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 sorry. Vox, about what a what a corporate machine process it is to what they're going to push, how they're going to push it, consultants they're going to hire, crafting a narrative about like, is it worthy? Is it is it the kind of movie that should be nominated for Why an Oscar? Why is it important now? Why is this moment the right moment for this project or this person? Yeah, it's uh, a whole deal. The late Dale Olson, one of the great, I always called him the, the last of the big glasses men. Um, <laughs> He was a very, he was an old school publicist like Shirley MacLaine was not, his longtime you're not wrong client. About, about that, um, he would get hired to do Oscar campaigns every year, yeah. and he specifically would be the guy who was doing all the outreach to like the members who lived in the motion picture home or right. the members who lived in Palm Springs. Right. Like he was basically the if you were north of seventy and still an Academy voting member. Dale Olson had your number. Right. And made sure that you were going to see these movies. Your actual phone number. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Your, your landline number. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. I'll watch. I always watch. Uh, anybody wants, a, a, you know, Carbonara. It's generally what I make. You can you submit your application. <laughs> Join us. Um, uh, you know the the thing, and I, I bring this up regularly, and apparently it's it, it's it's been a thing. Like William Goldman used to talk about it. Yeah, we're coming up on the hundredth anniversary of the Academy Awards. Uh huh. This is like ninety five. I really would love it for the Academy to institute a thing where a hundred years later they released the vote tallies. That's a good idea. Everybody's dead. Yeah. No one's no one can get upset about it. Right. It would be great to know. Yeah. Like what what was two votes shy of getting nominated? What came right. in sixth place? Right. You know, who won by like a vote? I'm sure there's all kinds of craziness that we've never been uh privy, privy to. Privy. You know. Yeah. I want to see the, I, you know, so when 2027 rolls around, I want to see some voting breakdowns for, you know, who picked Sunrise. <laughs> <laughs> we have eight movies to talk about. Yes, we do. So let's stop talking about the Academy Award. I think that would be a good idea. <laughs> um, Let's begin with the one of the eight that I did not see. You saw the new, improved... <laughs> you saw the new house party. Yeah. Yeah. No, not improved. Um, yeah, there's very little to say about the new house party, frankly. It's basically, they had the, you know, it, it is one of those movies that exists because the studio owned a title. Mm. You know, it has nothing to do with the original trilogy or however many they wound up making. Because there were there were three with Kid and Play, and then I think there were like a couple of direct-to-video versions. Okay, so I didn't know there was a third one with Kid and Play. Yeah, there's a third one where one of them gets married. Okay, that's... I never saw it. That's out of my... I, I saw the first one in the theater. Yeah. Loved it. Including... <laughs> The of its moment homophobia, uh -huh. which was very bad. Yes, nothing like watching. Let me say that differently. I didn't love the homophobia, but 
at the time, it was 1990, and I was just coming out, and I was like, yeah, that's what straight people are like. Yeah, no. Straight people will always be this way. It's fine. I'll deal with it. I'm tough. I can handle it. Nothing and, like hearing AIDS jokes in a movie to make you go, oh, yeah, 1990. 1990. Yeah. Mm. I, I didn't recently... Uh, Drea at, at Max Film say fast forward through that yeah, in we, the original we, and you we, were like no don't yeah we did an episode yeah. where we talked about the original and this new house party and, and she said yeah just fast forward through that part I said no 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 don't right. watch that part and see what people thought you could just do in a movie and say in a movie in 1990 and it was not a problem this is a movie that premiered at Sundance right you know, so the same year that uh, that that you know, Poison and Paris is Burning won the jury prizes and kickstarted the new queer cinema. So you know, little historical snapshot. Right. Anyway. So like, it's 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 this it's a thing though. You think about it, people wonder what it was like to be young and queer mm-hmm. in a time when pop culture was very comfortable being openly homophobic. Yeah, all the time. And I I was just being goofy about it just now, but. You did just sort of go, eh. Yeah. You know, like that's what... You didn't expect any better from the culture, you know. Yeah, straight people, you just looked at them and said, well, they're always going to be this way. Straight people will always behave this way. And the movies are always going to be this way. So I'll just go focus on myself and, and the stuff I like and not worry about this. And whatever is in this film or TV show or record that I'm, or book that I'm, in, you know, taking in... That whatever it is about that that I like, I'll keep that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So when you ask me, did you like the original House Party? Yeah, I love the original House Party. I laughed and laughed and laughed. And honestly, I don't fully uh, remember what I was thinking during that very distinct, you Mm. know, five minutes of the film that was, you know, openly, hideously homophobic. Um, I just, you, 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 you got good as a, as a, as a queer person. You got good at just sort of like brushing it off. Yeah. I mean, I was about peak angry gay boy in 1990 and I still have fond memories of the first house party. This one is not homophobic. It's also not much of anything else. Um, it stars Jacob Lattimore and Tosin Cole. They are two guys who are working for a house cleaning business, but they're both kind of flailing for various reasons. Lattimore's character wants to be a music producer. Uh, Cole's character is just kind of a wastrel. Um, and <laughs> that's an old timey word. Well, they both get they both get <laughs> fired while cleaning uh, LeBron James's house, and they decide, well, we have the keys. Let's throw a giant party here. Right. And um, you know, chaos ensues. Jacob Lattimore is super charming. Yeah. Like the fact that he was in Collateral Beauty it still does not make me not like Jacob Lattimore when I see him. <laughs> and you're an actor; you don't really always get exactly to pick yeah. what you're not, doing. Not not your fault. And right. then he and uh, Karen Obalam, who plays his girlfriend, are like really lovely together. Like uh-huh. I would love to see them in a good script. Right. The big problem here is that, and this is not again not the actor's fault. But the sidekick, Tosin Cole, as the, the, the kind of troublemaker, those characters have to be really likable. Like, yeah. you have to understand, like, you if you have two heroes, and one is the super nice guy who's trying to do the right thing, and the other one is, like, the devil on his shoulder with the big ideas, you have to understand why why the, 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 the good guy keeps the, you know, 
the 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 ne'er do well in his life. Yes, but he just comes off as such a jerk. You're like, oh. oh my god, all you're doing is dragging this other poor guy down. Right. And so you know, and that's that's not the actor's fault. It's in the script. Um, so yeah, it just it, it 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 feels really kind of thrown together, and it's the kind of movie that has celebrity cameos and thinks that those are inherently funny. Oh, all right. Uh, with the exception of Kid Cudi, who's Cudi Cudi. I don't know how you say it. You know, I've never met him, so I don't know how to say his name in person. Well, I'm sure he... I and, read I read his name. I'm sure he and Andrea Riceborough are like <laughs> super close. Anyway, he's very funny and just playing this very weird version of himself. Right. And there is... So he's playing himself. I guess. Okay. And there's like a five-minute sequence that involves the Illuminati that is hilarious. And you wish the whole movie were that... Gonzo, but it's not. It just, you know, you you spend the rest of the movie like wishing it would go back to that level of nuttiness, but it, yeah. So the idea that somehow Warner Brothers decided this deserved a theatrical release while Batgirl is, you know, buried in a safe somewhere is just like really depressing. Okay. Moving on. Is anybody going to see it? I mean, no, does it make no, any money at all? I don't no. think so, no. Not even with the LeBron James sort of uh, stamp of approval. I don't think it's been doing particularly well. I'm sure most people are, if, if, if they even know it exists, are waiting to watch it on these. It's his ads. doing, right? It's, it's, yeah, it's he's his. like an executive producer. Yeah. And, and he's in it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you know, you were so great in, uh, uh, what's the, the Amy Schumer, Trainwreck. Yeah. But like, it was man, really funny in Trainwreck. You've now made me have to sit through Space Jam 2 and the House Party remake. and He's going to keep remaking the films he loved back uh, I guess back in the day, yeah. Apparently, the, the early '90s are not safe from LeBron James. <laughs> Coming soon, LeBron James is the Englishman who went up a hill but came down a mountain. I, I would watch that. Who would? Yeah, I would watch that. Um. All right. New release this week. Mm-hmm. Infinity Pool. Yeah. Yeah, from Brandon Cronenberg, mm-hmm. uh, his follow-up to Possessor. Yes, which stars uh, Andrew Andrew, Andrew Riscro. <laughs> um, so okay, this one has everybody's favorite psychopath, Mia Goth. Yes, and I'll get to her. In a sec, because Indeed. she's the reason to go see this. Yeah, if, I, if, I think. If, if any, yes, it's her. And Alexander Skarsgård. Yes. Uh, it's about a husband and wife, played by Skarsgård and Cleopatra Coleman. Mm-hmm. They go to a resort in a fictional place. It's sort of like a developing nation. And you don't, you don't ever really get a good handle on what this place is. It is described by... The other characters as, you know, lawless. Yeah. And, you know, you can't you have to stay in the compound of the resort and you'll be murdered by yeah. the, the citizens of this country. Like it's that the, the resort has fences and razor wire on yeah. top of the fences. Uh but then you find out once that, you know, once this couple leaves the, <laughs> the compound and breaks the rule, you learn that this country does have laws. But that they, as I said on last week's KCRW, uh, they exist within the realm of science fiction. Yes. We're going to try not to spoil this film as best we can. Although it's 
a little difficult to talk about it without giving you a, a hint as to what is coming. So I will do my best. There is a tragic accident that it occurs. It is a tragic accident that takes place when the couple is outside the compound. And this sets into motion uh, a series of consequences. And as it sets those consequences into motion, Skarsgård becomes, you know, further and further apart from his wife and more under the command, really, of another uh, tourist who is Mia Goth. Now, many violent things take place. Lots of murders, lots of drugs, lots of orgies. And those are not simply pit stops in the plot. They are the plot. Pretty much. It The, the film becomes this sort of trippy, psychedelic hallucination of death and rebirth and you know sex that is almost unclassifiable because the camera doesn't always give you a chance to see what's really happening um it 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 dives deeply into the the uh Cronenberg the elders fascination with body horror and weird penetrations and and like possessor there's a theme of inhabiting another person people inhabiting other bodies mm-hmm. and the confusion that results when you no longer know who you are right anymore so all of this is in the service of alexander skarsgars Alexander Skarsgård's sort of descent into mental breakdown, madness and mental breakdown. You're making it sound more interesting than it is. I was, uh, like you, uh, bored. Yeah. Really bored. And that's not a word I throw around a lot. Yeah. But this movie is yeah, so... Yeah, because I watch so much slow cinema, being yeah. bored is the point. Of course. <laughs> But this, you can tell Brandon Cronenberg is thinking to himself, "This is gonna, God, they're gonna, this is gonna freak the squares, man." Can I say that I almost want to give this movie the points that it thinks it's earning, just by having any kind of sex? Well, in this in day it, and age, sure. because we are living in a cultural moment right now where sex in film is kind of hard to come by. Yeah, you know. I'm curious about, I I looked it up. According to Fandango, the movie that is showing in theaters, Infinity Pool, is rated R. Really? Yeah. I was under under the impression that it was an NC-17. Well, that's, I was too. And there's at least one sequence in the film that we were shown as a press screening. Yeah. Where I thought, oh. Well, that's your NC-17. That's your NC-17 moment right there. So now I want to know, is that moment not in the movie in general release? It's got to be. Or did we see an R-rated movie that somehow got that moment through? 
an ejaculation scene. Let's just say what it yes, is. A, a, an erection and an ejaculation. Yeah. I, I don't know. Again, I'm making it sound more interesting than it is, even with all of this, like, you know, wild uh, uh, sex and gore and, you right. know, frenzy going on. Yeah. It's not very interesting. Um, I am a very soft touch when it comes to horror movies right. and I usually will like flinch or hide my eyes or kind of like respond to things when it's characters that I care about. You know, when the woman in Barbarian has to walk down a dark hallway, oh I'm God. squirming like crazy. Right. This movie, I didn't, none of the characters registered to me as characters. And so whatever happened to them, I'm like, okay. They register as types. Yes, for sure. Honestly. Um, and we're going to talk about the menu in this episode oh, as well. Yeah. In fact, we should just talk about it next, I guess. Sure, yeah. Uh, because I think the menu and this and Glass Onion and Triangle of Sadness and on the know, White Lotus. television we've got the White Lotus. They all share something in common, and it is, you know, this idea of aren't rich people terrible? Yeah. Well, of course they are. <laughs> and, but aren't you enjoying their creature comforts? <laughs> right. And so there's no creature comfort to enjoy in this film. Well, the and, resort itself is pretty swanky. Eh, yeah, but you don't get to see the, the, the beauty of much of it at all. True. They have an infinity pool. So, yeah, these all, I mean, they vary in quality. Like, I wasn't a huge, you'll find out in a moment, not a huge fan of the menu either. Yeah, ditto. But I think... What's going on now? I think the White Lotus has been the most successful mm. at stretching out the proceedings, letting you into the lives of people and understanding who they are and what they're doing. Because even when you're even when you're giving us a movie full of terrible rich people, they have lives. Yeah. <laughs> they have ideas about themselves. And if we're ever going to you know, if if the if your film is going to critique the world properly, if the if your if your film is going to offer a way for you know not filthy rich people to see a path for themselves through this modern dystopia that the rich people have created for everyone else, yeah, I need to be shown something more than how bad the rich people are. Right. And I need to be shown something more than their satisfying comeuppance, which allows me to leave the theater and think, well, we took care of those people. <laughs> no need to smash the, the banks, you know. Right. Uh, yeah, like, I, you know, perfect example. Season one of White Lotus. Uh-huh. The, the character arc of, of, you know, Jennifer Coolidge's character, Tanya, where she, you know... Uh, seeks comfort from this woman who runs the health spa, offers her the this life-changing opportunity, mm -hmm. and then just sort of walks away from it because, you know, she gets bored or whatever. Right. And it's like, you understand not only what a horrible thing she's done, you also understand that she'll never fully understand the horrible thing she's done because right. her wealth shelters her from understanding the world at a certain level. Mm -hmm. And... There is none of that understanding here. It's just sort of like one of those kind of crappy post-Rosemary's Baby early 70s horror movies where somebody moves into a fancy building in New York and realizes, oh, I'm surrounded by rich Satanists. Oops. Yeah. This, is, this seems to serve no purpose other than to show you 
one guy falling apart. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I, it felt, it felt pointless to me. Yeah. Um, now here's what's good. Uh, Karim Hussein is the cinematographer Mm -hmm. and when he is going for it in a psychedelic way, it's, it's fun to look at. Uh, Otherwise, you know, the, the, the day in, day out stuff of the resort and the country around it is seems to be made to look deliberately drab. It's kind of flat. Um and then of course there's Mia Goth, who yes. is unhinged in that pearl way that you love. Yes. <laughs> so I, I worry that she's gonna get typecast. But... Um, I'll tell you though, it, maybe she will get typecast. I have a feeling she won't allow herself to be typecast. I also think that there aren't a lot of young women who are game to go to the places she goes to mm. in these like in Pearl and here. Sure. Um which is understandable, you know. Uh actors want to sort of protect themselves. Like anybody. Yeah. Uh, she doesn't seem like she cares <laughs> if she's protected or not. I'm so, just saying, after Maxine, if she wanted to do a Greta Gerwig movie, I would be fine with that. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. I uh, I admire her. Yes. And, and she's she is the reason to see this film. Absolutely. Otherwise, mm. Eh, mm, mm, mm. yeah. Uh, the menu. Y'all, rich people are terrible. Rich people are terrible, you guys. And the ones who like food, they're the worst. <laughs> I had to learn what a Paco Jet was after yes. watching this. I had no idea didn't what that know was. Either. Uh, and I host, I co-host a podcast about food. I didn't know what a Paco Jet was, but Nicholas Holt's character has one. Yep. He and Anya Taylor-Joy are a couple who go to an extremely fancy restaurant where the meal costs $1,200 a head. Ray Fiennes is the chef. Uh, who are some of the other people there? Judith Light. Judith Light is one Judith of the Judith Light, who doesn't get enough to do. Not near at all. You want her to be there doing something cool. Uh, uh, Janet McTeer, John mm-hmm. Leguizamo. Yeah. A lot of, oh, that guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you learn very quickly that the whole night has been I guess, arranged. arranged and rigged yeah. by the chef himself, who is, uh, can we say what he's planning to do? Uh, let's not. Okay. Well, it's not good. Yeah. It's bad. The people at the restaurant, uh, are trapped in a no-win situation. Yes. Not just culinarily, is that a word? Yes. But, uh, existentially right. as well. So, you know, some of them fight back, some of them don't, some of them give into it. Uh, Nicholas Holt's character is excited for every moment of the of the of the nightmare. Yeah. And at first you just think, well, you know what? It's kind of like that article that went around last year of the the woman who reviewed the the like 6-hour experience at a fancy restaurant, and she left hungry. Oh right, And yes. it took forever and there were these tiny little things and weird food and all that stuff and I thought, "You know what? You're a travel writer. And you go you review restaurants and you know. You know that when you're going to 
a place like the one you went to. An experience. You're paying for not just a meal. Like yeah. you could have a meal at no lie, Olive Garden. And and you wouldn't be miserable when you left. I mean, you wouldn't be necessarily happy, but you wouldn't be miserable. Yeah. But you went to a place that costs probably upwards of seven, eight hundred bucks to eat, and you are uh you're paying for something other than a full belly. Yeah. Meat and two veg. So while I'm watching this movie, I'm thinking, you know, I kind of get it. Like Nicholas Holt is like, I don't care that they're having us eat like uh air or whatever <laughs> a gel yeah. um i'm here for the i'm here for the i'm here for this wild experience well he yeah, he's he is clearly a fanboy of the chef himself the chef himself but yeah. but of the larger sort of like the new wave of you know, post molecular gastronomy right. kind of food nerdiness yeah you know? he's he, i think he said something i think he had, there's a line in the film where he says i've seen every chef's table two or three times no, i've seen his chef's table oh okay all right <laughs> And Chef's Table is a show on Netflix. Yes. Where each episode focuses on a, a, a chef somewhere somewhere in the world. Yeah. And how they do what they do, why they do what they do, what their food is like, what their you know philosophy is of being a chef, and whether they are in a, a place that costs a thousand bucks or a place that is a pizza place in Arizona, like mm-hmm. that guy yeah. whose name I'm blanking on right now, but he just opened up a pizza place in Los Angeles as well. You know, Christina Tosi making desserts. You right. Know, it's all kinds of people. And so that is, I, I get that. Food is fun. Restaurants are fun. I don't go to very many of them because, you know, I cook at home, but that's not the point of the movie at all. The point of the movie is, aren't rich people terrible? And the thing is... And shouldn't they be punished? Well, right. And your, and your answer, of course, is, yes, let's. <laughs> and the, the problem is, as satisfying as that comeuppance <clears throat> is, they don't even script it in a way that everybody there deserves it. Mm. That's one of the problems with yeah. this in a structural way, I think, is that you've got a lot of innocent bystanders. Yeah, there's, there's way too much collateral damage in this movie to work as like a morality play. Right. It becomes, it becomes another installment of the Saw franchise. In a, in a very real way, because mm-hmm. you've got people whose job it is in the movie simply to die for, you know... Transgressions. Uh, minor transgressions, yeah. or some of them are major transgressions, but, you know, some of them are like, oh, you're just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. Sorry. Oops. Yeah. Did we spoil it by saying people are going to die? People are going to die. Yeah. Yeah. That that we can say that was that was in the trailer that I saw ten million times. <laughs> anyway, uh, it's not half so clever as it thinks. This movie. It's fun to look at the and uh, our beloved Irv's Burgers is doing a tie-in with it. <laughs> yeah, because there's there's a moment in the film where Anya Taylor Joy is like, just bring me a cheeseburger, and they bring her a regular cheeseburger. With crinkle so cut fries. Our love, our our wonderful neighborhood uh, burger place, Irv's, is doing a, a an official tie-in with the movie. Yeah, where you go and you get a menu, just a regular cheese, just a regular cheeseburger, as seen in the, the menu, menu. <laughs> with crinkle cut fries. Um, I think of this as because I. 
I wasn't a huge fan of Triangle of Sadness. Mm-hmm. I had a great time watching Triangle of Sadness. Uh-huh. I don't think it was a particularly good movie. It felt like being like bunked on the head with a, a, a sledgehammer. That was another surprise of the Oscars this year. The Bat got into the Best a Picture best race, picture, yeah. but the Dolly De Leon didn't get a Best Supporting Actress nomination. Right, right. So, uh, this is not as entertaining... As Triangle yeah. of Sadness. But it's not not fun to watch. No, it, it I like Anya Taylor Joy, how she carries herself yeah. through a film. Hong I think Chow. Hong Chow is Great. cool yeah. in this uh as well. And the, the So is Nicholas Holt. Uh yeah. for for who he is in the film, you know. And and, and Ray Fines is you can tell, like enjoying himself. And there is, the food porn is exquisite, you know, like the way that it's all prepped and shot and everything, you know. Yeah, if I had 1200 bucks to blow on a meal and not have to think about it, I'd be like, yeah, I'll go to this island and have weird, you know, foams and whatnot. Two mussels on a rock. Yeah. Scallops, whatever they were. Like the rock when you're done. (laughs) It's 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 fine. It's whatever. It's Dis- not disappointing. I uh, was I was I was wanting, you know, I was wanting something more. More. Next. Yes. Missing. Missing. Are you uh, surprised at how fun this was? I was. Yeah. And now I feel really bad that I still haven't seen Searching. But well, I you can. See you know what you can do? You can. You I can, can see Searching. You can get a Blu-ray. It's true. Or you could. I assume it's streaming too, but it is available on physical media. Also. Yes. 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 You can do it. I should make that happen. So Missing is uh, sort of part of the Searching universe, but if you didn't see Searching, it's fine. You'll yeah. still follow it. Yeah. Um. It stars Storm Reed. Uh, as a, a teenage girl, her we, we see home movie footage early on um, with her parents, and um, you know we 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 the impression is that uh, her father has passed away. <clears throat> She's being raised by you know a single mom played by Nia Long uh, in Los Angeles, and at the beginning of the film, uh, mom and her new boyfriend are heading off to Colombia. And for uh, a vacation, for a vacation, yeah, and uh, leaving Storm Reed at home, and uh, you know, she has a party, yeah, everything yeah. that we see is through the filter of her laptop or other people's social media, so right? She has a big party. Um, you if know, you've seen Unfriended, you know what yes, is going on. Here. This is all sort of part of the same, you know, yeah. the, the, the same guys producing all of these, I think, yeah. Anyway, so uh, she goes to pick up her mom at the airport and doesn't show up. And so then she starts making inquiries. And apparently her mom, the boyfriend, checked out of the hotel, but no one's seen them. And so she uses her know-how as a digital citizen um, to track her down. Not merely a digital citizen. She's 17 years old. Yes. This is a film about how good kids are at, at... at the internet. Yeah, and figuring out <laughs> adults' passwords. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so she, you know, she starts uh, searching for traces of them online. She finds out the hotel they had have these security cameras that are going to be erased in 48 hours. So she basically task rabbit hires this guy, paid, played by Joaquin Dalmeida, to go check it out for her. He winds up becoming her, like, eyes and ears and feet 
in Colombia to sort of like go to these places where she can't go to investigate, to figure things out. And, um, you know, as all of this is happening, you know, you, the, the character is a fan of these sort of like Netflixy true crime reenactment shows. Uh-huh. And she suddenly finds herself sort of enveloped in one. And the movie is constantly like throwing you these really great red herrings where you think you know where it's going to go, but then you don't. Right. Then like other people start making opinions about what obviously is happening when they don't know anything because this is how the whole true crime right. podcast, you know, YouTube universe works. Yeah. And so it's this really suspenseful but also funny um, movie about this very smart and tech-savvy, you know, teen trying to, like, track down her mom. It is a very conventionally plotted film. Yes. But the, the action never stops. And once you think you know what is happening, something comes along to detour you. And... It is a lot of information thrown at you on on the screen. It's not yeah. just that people are saying a lot of things to you. You're having to... There's like text message pop-ups. You're having to navigate the visual space of the screen. Of her laptop. As a viewer, because there's so much stuff going on on her laptop. <laughs> that you're like, wait, who... Should I be paying attention to this little thing over in the corner here? Because that's moving and like, it's... You're tired by the end of this film if you're old <laughs> like me, but but it finds a real emotional resonance in the in, in you know we understand why this mother and daughter have had issues. are where they are exactly yeah okay. you know and and the daughter obviously in, in in the pursuit of trying to find her mom kind of comes to appreciate things and and you see like and understanding te- secrets yes that mom has been keeping from her, Absolutely. her entire but, life but you see like text message conversations and and clips that are the, the, that she now looks at in a different way and yeah. feels regret about dave white who is always predicting things in movies and usually correctly very confidently nudged me at one point like ah this person da, 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 da. and for a moment <laughs> I, I i pointed right at the screen and i said in on it <laughs> And, then, and, and, for a, and for a moment, that person did seem in on it. And then later, maybe not. So, yeah, I, I was very entertained by this. And um, it's, it, is, it isn't about much, I think, other than, you know, if you ever have a problem and you need the Internet's help. Yes, ask a team. Find a kid in high school because they will be the one to solve your problem. And, I mean, there, there is a read of this film that sort of underscores the idea of you know, as as Andy Timoner put it in her documentary, we live in public. Right. Like, she is able to glean so much information based on the digital trail that right. she knows how to follow. Right. And the stuff that she's able to access once she figures out people's passwords and stuff. That it's like, on the one hand, it's exciting to watch her solve it. Apparently, the whole thing in searching is that John Cho is not a teen. And so he's having a harder time uh-huh. doing this stuff, trying to find his own daughter. Um but it's also maybe a little terrifying if you think about how much she's able to accomplish with the tools that she has just sitting at her keyboard. No, I think it's it's definitely a, a, a positive uh, uh, message in the film. Sort of like it's a positive portrayal, but you could think about it. Megan like, Wait a <laughs> is about tech wanting to murder you. Sure, yes. And this is about tech in the right hands. Fixing, saving you, saving you, yeah. right? I mean that, and that is the text of the film. Yeah. But I'm just saying that there is a read on it that that could be like, 
But is this good? Should we? <laughs> Are we? Do we? Listen, if I ever go missing, I will I, call Storm Reed. I need you to call. I need you to call. By the by, the time I am am out in the world enough again mm. to get kidnapped, yes. Uh, one of the oh the the twins just the twins. turned thirteen. Yes, so they're going to be able to figure it out. I'll, I'll so get go directly to the twins. I will, and <laughs> won't even call the cops. I'll just call the twins. They're about to get into high school. They're going to learn everything. Yes, all at once for sure. Um, uh, and Storm Reed for for doing this movie almost entirely in close up, right, is terrific. I will. I it's in theaters right now. Yeah, and I think that's where you should see it because it is a film that benefits from the fact that again it's all on screens yeah but to have it so big in your face i think it's going to feel different if you're actually watching it on a television or on your laptop on your, yeah watching it on a laptop would be a little too participatory i think i i and you would miss too much literal data i yeah <laughs> i i it's not like this is a a, a you know we talk about cinematography this is a film composed of screens. Yeah. But there's a reason for it to be big like that. Yeah. And and the reason is you're overwhelmed with information. And that's, that's part, the, that's part the of point. the point. Yeah. That's the point. Yeah. yeah. The Man in the Basement. Mm. Yes. Uh, it's a new film from France. Just opened. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy Renier and uh, Bernice Bejo. Uh, are a married couple who live in Paris. She is Catholic. He is Jewish. Um, he wants to rent out their cellar, and he meets uh, Francois Clouzet uh, as a guy who claims to be a retired school teacher, and he's just and he he, he is yeah looking for some yeah. storage space. He didn't so, voluntarily. He didn't voluntarily retire. Well, no. we're getting there. <laughs> so you know, but without really dealing with the lawyers or anything, like Renier basically like accepts his check. You know, handshake deal, no problem. It's all good. They live in, in a big old apartment. Yeah, and the 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 basement is inside the compound of the buildings. Those old French, you know, buildings with a, with a courtyard, and yeah. so it's a storage space. Right, and he sells that storage space to the old teacher. Yes. Well, the old teacher moves in, which he's not supposed to do. Yeah, he's but supposed he to do that. Right. He's supposed to turn it into a, a, an apartment. And turns out, no, he's not actually retired. He was fired from his job because, oh, he's a Holocaust denier. Yeah. Uh, and this is not going over well with anybody uh, because we find out that, uh, that Renier's family uh, got driven out of their apartment in the 40s during the Vichy occupation. They had to fight to get the... They had to get it back after the war was over when other people moved in. Um, and this guy in the cellar is sort of poisoning other tenants against Renier, uh, is is like talking to uh, Renier and Bejo's daughter about how, oh, I just, you know, I question the official thing and you should right. always, you know, do your own research and blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, he's actively harassing Jeremy Renier with, uh, you know, text messages about, you know, the Jews are the rats of the world, and yeah. like all that old Hitler propaganda. Exactly. Kind of stuff. Like, yeah. Th- yeah, this guy for all of his like, I just am asking questions. He's also like a super anti-Semite. He's an active. Racist. He's an active neo-Nazi. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and so 
everybody has a theory about how to deal with this. You know, do we do we lawyer him out? Do we violent him out? Um, and you just see his continued presence sort of like dragging everybody else down. And so it's a movie that, you know, it, 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 it is a thriller, you know, oh, for you, sure. You yeah. don't know what's going to happen, how it's going to turn out. And, and the movie's just constantly tightening the screws, but it's the kind of thing where this stressful situation is revealing all of the stress points in these other relationships. It's about how, you know, you know, you could look at this metaphorically as like, you know, internet trolls. And once what happens when they are allowed to sort of enter what is considered the discourse, uh-huh. you know, and they drag everything down. Um, it's intense, but uh, I was very into it. It is, like you were saying, it's about how insidious disinformation can be. Yeah. And how when it is, you know, a hundred years ago it was spread in one way. Now it's being spread in an entirely new way. Right. Through a population of, well, you name a population of whatever country. Of varying degrees of media literacy, you know, people who can decipher, you know, what's real and what's false, what's fact and what's, you know, propaganda, uh, what's propaganda, and so, you know, people who are more vulnerable to that become engaged by it, and they wind up like losing their brains over it. You know, you see it happening in the film. As the old man sort of gently talks to the teenage daughter, well, I'm as you said, oh, I'm just questioning the official story. They, you, if you if you say you might disagree with something, they'll kick you out. And you know, I'm a rebel. And, you know, that appeals that appeals to a teenage girl. You know, she's like, yeah, me too. I'm a rebel too. You know, like it is, it is that story. It's not simply. You know the hand that rocks the cradle. <laughs> you know right. you've got to get, you've got to all get that one person and get them out because they're, you know, insane and they're going to do something terrible and violent. They have the capacity to turn you violent. Yes. You know what I thought found really interesting about this film is that it moves like like a '90s American thriller, mm. where you know you wouldn't expect a French art house film to involve, you know. People becoming, you know, vigilantes, you know, like they would in an American right. uh, film. And you watch Jeremy Renier's character, like, lose his own sense of self yeah. as he has to figure out how to fight this guy and, in turn, start fighting his neighbors over this guy. Right. You know, there's a whole subplot about the daughter taking Krav Maga lessons. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting because, you know, that's the Mossad yes. self-defense. And Mossad spent a lot of time Nazi hunting. Right. You know, when the, more of them were still alive, you know. Right. And so it's just, it you know, where you see these sort of different variations of like, because the Krav Maga teacher's like, we can take care of this we guy. We can take care of this guy. When he finds out about the guy, he's like, I'll go, I'll handle it. Yeah. I'll go take care of it. You know, him. but everybody else is like, yeah. no, no, we'll get this lawyer. We'll get right. this. We'll cite this law. We'll blah, blah, blah. Right. And, you know. Um. So, yeah, I was not, uh, 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 I was not knowing what to expect yeah. from this. It's from a director whose uh, career I haven't really followed, Philippe Legui. And uh, it is, um, 
a really effective, very mainstream-feeling thriller about post-truth <laughs> and what happens when it becomes, you know, ruinous for everybody around. Yeah, it's it, it tragically could not be zeitgeistier right now. Right. Uh, in Los Angeles, it's playing at the Lemley Royal, probably a couple other Lemley theaters. Uh, I assume if you live in a big city with an art house, it's either there already or coming there soon. Yeah. Uh, so, you know. And it'll be streaming, you know, before you know it. And, you know, if you're a big Dardan uh, Brothers fan, uh, you already know Jeremy Renier. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's been in a lot of their movies. <laughs> uh, they have a new one opening in March. Yeah, what's that called? Uh, it's, it's two people's names. Uh, oh, you're right, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It premiered at Cam last year. Cam last year. Really good. Yeah. Um, we also uh, watched You People, which has a certain amount of theatrical life going on. Uh, yes, um, not At a lot. It's sort of like probably L.A., New York, just and, for you know, just for award consideration. Later, yeah. it is primarily happening on Netflix. Correct, and it is from Kenya Barris, who is the creator of the sitcom Blackish. He directs it. He co-wrote it with Jonah Hill, and it's about a uh, an interracial millennial couple. They're in their mid thirties. Played by Jonah Hill and Lauren London. Yes. Who's back? Um, she was, she didn't work for a little while. Uh, her partner in life was Nipsey Hussle. Yes. And he was murdered. And so she's been away for a little bit, um, taking care of her life. But I've been a fan of hers since. This Christmas. This Christmas, yes. Which was her second film, I found out. Wow. Um, and it's just lovely to see her back because I think she's great. And she, I think, is going to get a big sort of, you know, push, boost from this in terms of maybe, maybe people, uh, you know, encountering her for the first time yeah, if, if yeah. they haven't seen the stuff she's been in before. Um, but it is about the, you know, obviously comedic sitcom conflicts that the couple encounters when they decide to get married, their parents are played by Eddie Murphy and Nia Long. And Jonah Hill's parents are played by Julia Louis-Dreyfus and David Duchovny. And, you know, it's about racial and cultural clashes. It's also about, well, I'll tell you what else I think it's about in a minute, but here's what pretty much goes down. Um, they meet, they're very cute together. They, you know, decide they want to get married. He is immersed in hip hop culture. He does a podcast with his friend played by Sam J. Sam J. Who um, is a very funny, yes. uh, lesbian comic yeah. that we dig. Um, and he goes to Eddie Murphy and he says, I want to marry your daughter. And this is in the trailer. Yes. And Eddie Murphy says, well, you can try. Yeah. <laughs> and I, the for me, the funniest elements of this film are not even the situations that arise because you can kind of see those being set up yeah. as the film's going on. But it is very specifically Eddie Murphy and Julia Louis-Dreyfus, who yeah. are 
just old pros and they have a a a complete lock on who their characters are and what they are meant to be in this film. So yeah. she is uh overly effusive and thrilled that she gets to engage with black people yeah. in a way that she otherwise does not and she is offensive every yes. time she opens her mouth. Eddie Murphy, honestly, I've never seen him colder. I've never seen more him more deadpan. deadpan. And every scene he's in feels like he is cutting up Jonah Hill with his eyes and everything he does is funny Yeah, uh, in this movie. It is not a caustic Film oh, no, about, no, no. about about racism. It is a comfy film about yeah. racism. This is it, a movie where people learn lessons. Every, everybody and, yeah. learns things about themselves and about each other. And it it is very... I mean, Kenya Barris, he comes from the world of sitcoms. And I think his job, and he knows his job here. Yeah. And it is keep everybody engaged. Don't make any... And don't make anybody feel too badly about themselves regardless of who they are or what they've said or what they've done or how they've treated somebody everybody can be forgiven everybody can pull each other along everybody can come together and you knew that going in when you started watching this movie yeah so like, that's you know there are some blistering one-liners along the way there yes there are but you you do know that it's going to come to a place of you know the studio audience going, oh, at the end, basically, you know. Um, it's but, got that sitcom's sense of safety. Yes. No one is going to be dealt with too harshly, I said, on KCRW. It doesn't skewer, it pokes. Yes. And, and But if you uh, know that's what you're getting, it's, it's quite entertaining. And it's, honestly, it's meaningful. And there's a subplot that I also think is genuinely meaningful for younger audiences. And by younger, I mean... Gen X and younger. Mm. We've talked about this before. When you grow up in the United States now and you are white, the culture around you would lead you to believe that not only is everything fine, <laughs> but that you have permission to go anywhere, do anything, say anything, and consume a variety of cultures around you and think that makes you a participant and an insider. Yes, that consumption bestows upon you. And so what you see Jonah Hill's character doing the film is when he is confronted by Eddie Murphy, when he's grilled by Eddie Murphy, he doesn't have answers. And then he starts making up answers. Yeah. And what he learns about himself is that he's not quite the the insider that he thinks he is and if i have a real beef with the film it's wondering why lauren london's character doesn't see through that or if she does she thinks it's cute maybe i'm not sure uh but that i mean but that's kind of a minor quibble on my part i think you know I think maybe it's that thing of, you know, 
trying to find somebody who is as un Eddie Murphy as possible. You know, although I think ultimately we do all wind up, you know, marrying our one of our parents. But um, what are you, what are you talking about? Oh my god! What are you saying? You you know exactly. What are you, what are you saying, Alonzo? Which parent did you marry? Uh, mm-hmm. You are so mm-hmm. what? You are so my dad in so many ways. It's crazy. Um, yeah, no, I, you're right. That 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 certainly one one could ask the question of like why she's not. Why that's not a, an impediment she to their does, relationship. She does question him initially. Yes. Um, and and but then it, she sort of melts into him, and yeah. and is sort of like, oh, you know what? It's adorable, the way you think that you are this person, you right? Know? Uh, but he, you know, he learns that he simply cannot just blithely move through any space he wants to. He has a lot to learn. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's the kind of movie that if you see it with your parents, when it's over, they'll say, that was cute. <laughs> and and I'm, I don't mean that disparagingly because I laughed a lot. I think it's quite funny. I'll say, I'll even say this. As a sort of fuzzy movie about race relations, yeah. give me this over Green Book any day. Well, yeah. I mean, yes. Because... Green Book distorts the past. Yes. This movie just, you know, provides a a sitcom-y... Soft you know, focus present. Soft mm-hmm. focus present, exactly. Yeah. And it's on Netflix, so it's real easy to get to right it now. It is. <laughs> if you feel like watching it. Um, plain. 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 Can I say that my garbage movie boyfriend, Gerard Butler, Mm -hmm. I call him Jerry. Of course. In our more intimate moments. Mm -hmm. um, Has executive produced, and I know he executive produced it, not just because his name says executive producer on the film, but because when we went to see it, (laughs) not you and Jerry, Shh. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yes, when you went to see it, a bunch of people who worked for him and his production company, uh-huh. they were in the audience cheering at every credit. Credit. Oh, yeah. God. And it was, I and this was like on a Tuesday afternoon at the As Grove. A, I've had to sit through the screening before, but they're usually like, they just sat press and cast and crew. You bought a ticket and got I this. I bought a ticket and got this. Um, that's, y'all. Sometimes living in Los Angeles provides you with weird experiences. It's true. Uh, my boyfriend, my garbage movie boyfriend, Jerry, has made a uh, a competent action thriller that is not nearly as bonkers or ridiculous as Geostorm. Now, what film can be Geostorm? Sure. Other than Geostorm. If I you mean, haven't seen Geostorm, is- you should see Geostorm. As a as a butlerologist, which I am not, yes, would you say that Geostorm is the platonic ideal of the Gerard Butler garbage movie? Um, or would it be Greenland? Or would it be one of the Has Fallen's? Uh, Geostorm is the is is the dream come true. Mm. Uh, Was it also a Roland Emmerich movie? Maybe it seems like it would have been. But there's also the one where he's the ghost and he's trying to get Hilary Swank a new boyfriend. 
P.S. I love you. P.S. I love you. I always forget the title. But that's a good one. If you're, you know. But that's not a garbage movie in the same. Yeah, it is. Well, but not in the (laughs) same way that Plane is. It's not action Here's the thing. Okay, so he's a pilot. I'll tell you what it's about. He's a pilot and he's got a wildly empty flight for yeah, some reason. Like, like, I, don't believe, wonder, I don't believe flights like that exist I think anymore. I think that flight would have been canceled before it yes. ever got off the ground. They'd be like, I'm sorry, we only have 14 passengers? We're not flying this flight. Yeah. Not not since I'm so excited where they just contrive a way to make all of Coach fall asleep for the entire movie. Yeah. Have you seen a more <laughs> naked excuse of like, we can only have so many characters. So you got, you got, <laughs> you got a nearly empty flight. And very much like in the opening scenes of the Poseidon Adventure, you have a corporate yes. uh, evildoer who is telling them, you must fly through this terrible weather. Yes. And Gerard Butler's, like, Gerard Butler's like, I'll take the plane above the weather. We'll be fine. They are not fine. They are not fine. The plane gets hit by lightning. My garbage movie boyfriend, Jerry B., lands that plane mm-hmm. even though it's it's a crash yeah it's a crash but it's also a landing it's where and no one dies yeah. <laughs> except well eh, i'll yeah. let that be a surprise um on the ground they are apparently in the same country uh where the resort from infinity pool is <laughs> because it, it is, is a, it is a land of lawlessness and everyone we're told like the philippine army won't even go there yeah <laughs> And and so they they uh they get they all get like kidnapped by these yeah, dudes who are uh, crime people crime people and uh, Jerry has to save everybody with the help of Mike Coulter with the help of Mike Coulter who, who is, was who is the con air of this movie he's yeah. the the prisoner being transported. Now, Mike Coulter was on the Luke, Marvel show. Luke Cage. He was Luke Cage. Yes. And, you know, if he is in enough films like this, he could be my other garbage movie I, boyfriend. I was going to say, I, I, I have no eyes for Jerry when Mike Coulter is around. I, friend and neighbor Gary Cotty attended this uh, uh, film with me. Mm-hmm. And he uh, only has eyes for Mike Coulter. So uh, that's, you know. This is that's your seal of approval. Yeah, I mean right there. This is this is the three of us agree. You're right. This is a this is a competently made dumb movie. It is it is not it's not a, a smart film. It's not uh 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 a, 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 a nonsense film like Geostorm. It's like if you took a 1978 <coughs> CBS Wednesday night movie about a plane crash and then like zhuzhed in enough violence to make it R-rated. Right. That's what we're dealing with here, yes. basically. Um, and on that level, delivers. Yes, on the level of cheap entertainment. Yes. It is very cheap entertainment. Like this is an honest-to-gosh B-movie. Right. You know, the, the, the term B-movie comes from back when they had double features and they would send out, like, the big, you know, mainstream release. And then there'd be the sort of cheaper, more raggedy whatever movie as the, as the, as the second feature, and that would be the B-movie. This is, like, you know, a, a, a movie that exists to fill time. And, you know, it's, it's not 
anybody's idea of like a tent pole or whatever. But as just a, you know, crackerjack little genre movie, it does what it's supposed to do. With a name that you'll never be able to Google. Uh, yeah. It, I, it's, Plane. It, it, it almost seems like a joke, except there already was a movie called Airplane that was a joke. So, Yeah. Yeah. I, my, my joke was that the sequel would be Peanut. I don't... What? You know, M&M's. That's that's a good one. Thank you. That's a really good Also, because when you're on a plane, they give you peanuts. Really good joke. They no, don't they don't. They give you Biscoff cookies yes. now. No, they stopped giving out peanuts because apparently there are people who, because of their allergies in the Can't even be in the room plane. with them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And finally, coming full circle to the Academy Awards, we have Close from Lucas Dunt. Yes. Belgian filmmaker. Up for Best International Feature. It is nominated for the Best International uh, Film at the Academy Awards. Uh, we have not seen his earlier film. We avoided it, honestly, yes. because we'd heard so much negative uh, stuff about it from queer critics, trans critics, that we said, nope, pass, we won't. Um so I don't I don't know if his earlier film called Girl is of any value. Yeah. Uh, but I do know that when the chorus of Hey Now yeah. <laughs> is that loud, I'll just take a pass. Yeah. I'm very busy. I believe both films premiered at Cannes. Yes, they did. This one also premiered at Cannes. That's... And it won something. That can I can't remember now exactly what it won, but it did win something. Um, I uh, think it uh, was uh, the oh it uh, the grand prize. Which it won is the grand prize, sort of second to the uh, Palme d'Or. Okay, so this is the story of two uh, young boys. They are twelve eh, ish. Yeah. They are they live in Belgium. They are best 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 friends. They are, as the title says, so close. Yeah. And they are that kind of close that little boys are allowed to be. They're just hanging all over each other all the time. They are physically close. And they, you know, they they spend all their time at each other's houses. Um, they go everywhere together. They do everything together. They are, in fact, so tight that on the first day of their new school year, other kids see how how close they are, and a little girl says, are you guys a couple? Are you together? Are you together? And they both are confused by the question. Right. They, they're like, no, no, no. This is, he's my, he's like my brother. He's my best friend. Yeah. And then... Some of the tougher boys in the school haul out the F slur. Mm -hmm. And one of the boys decides that he needs to pull back from the other. Now, the film makes no mention ever of what their, you know, emerging sexual orientations might even be. We don't know. The film won't tell you. We don't know. And it doesn't matter. 
But his friend, as he pulls away, the friend is hurt by this. Yes. And angry and is emotional in front of people about it. Cries. Okay. And then something very, very bad happens. I won't spoil what the very, very bad thing is, but it is a tragedy. Uh, I would call it a twist. Kind of. And the remainder of the film is the consequences, the fallout, the emotional fallout of that tragedy. So, mainly on his friend. Lucas Daunt is a queer filmmaker. And he has talked about how this film is something that is very close to him. I haven't learned if it's at all autobiographical, whether it is you know, based on something that he personally experienced, but he also did describe uh, an inspiration that he took from a film, not a film, a book mm-hmm. called Deep Secrets, Boys' Friendships and the Crisis of Connection. Mm-hmm. What I love about this movie is the, the, the minute, detailed understanding of how painful and difficult it is for boys to maintain intimate relationships with each other that are not sexual, that are simply, that simply involve emotional vulnerability, physical closeness, the ability to touch another person and not be called the F word. Yeah. Right? How, you know, it has, it has in, in the culture, and this is not just Belgium, but the United States and everywhere, everywhere, we've created a world where boys don't know how to process their feelings. They don't know how to express themselves. They become teenagers who cannot do that. They become young adults who cannot do that. They become adult, middle-aged, old men who cannot do that and who routinely recoil from anything that might suggest that they are not 100% all man. Right. And it is a tragedy that plays out every day, everywhere. And it fuels homophobia rather than bolstering anyone's sense of security or safety. Right. It makes everyone miserable. Yeah. It makes queer people miserable. It makes straight people miserable. It makes people miserable. And we've done it to ourselves. Bros is kind of about this. Yeah. Absolutely about this. Uh, every time I every time I hear someone who talks about how they don't like the film Bros, I think there's a whole bunch of stuff in there in that movie about the reasons why we wind up hating ourselves and each other. Yeah. Maybe go pay attention to that stuff again. Because this film takes a whole other detour into absolute tragedy and trauma to tell you a similar message. Yeah. There's a 
beautifully made film. The cinematography is stunning. Um, the performances are really moving and affecting. Yeah, they're the kids are great. The parents are uh, uh, wonderful as well. I, I always admire a film given just the logistics of what a shooting schedule is like that can convincingly portray all four seasons. Right. I don't know how they did it. I don't know how if they like stopped and started or whatever. But like they the the one of the kids his parents are are more agrarian and the other the other kids are more like, you know, blue or white collar. But like the, I guess uh, that's the impression. I mean they they're 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 flower farmers. Yeah. yeah okay. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. They're, right. So so you see like these gorgeous shots of them like late summer running through these fields with just like, right. all the blossoms out. Yeah. And then you see everything covered in snow and then you see the spring with everything coming back and like it 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 that really kind of you know, if you're going to do a year in someone's life and they're going to be connected to nature in that way. It is upon you, it is incumbent upon you to sort of show us that transformation right. of the seasons, and this movie does that in a really beautiful way. Having said that, yes, you and I are not just film critics who see far more movies than most folks. Yes, but we have very specifically been involved in you. Uh, have been a programmer for Outfest. Yes. You were a programmer for Outfest for years. Yes. And before that, you were a film festival programmer in Dallas. Yes. And because of that, I was along for the ride, not just, you know, on my own through the new queer cinema, mm. but watching a lot of these movies side by side with you. Yeah. I have seen a beat happy queer films. I have seen devastatingly sorrowful queer films. I have seen... Queer films that made audiences furious. They made queer audiences furious. Queer audiences furious. The adaptation of Dennis Cooper's uh, 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 Frisk. Uh, uh, Frisk, for starters. Um, uh, the, uh, the 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 film Beauty from the guy who directed oh my God. the new All Quiet on the West. Oh movie. my God, that's a movie. Sometimes I wonder if 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 a lot of American audiences had been exposed to the film beauty would they have you know rioted <laughs> possibly uh because it is it's a great movie yes and it is brutal mm -hmm. all right so i guess what i'm getting at here is that you and i are a little bit uh inured <laughs> to this yeah. to this idea of this film is too traumatic this film takes a turn i don't want right i have seen enough Queer trauma on screen. I don't need any more. And none of us need it. It doesn't mean that films shouldn't exist that explore tragedy. Yes. So I'm torn between telling you that this is a really well-made film. And also, like I said on KCRW, you should know yourself before you watch it. Because it is... A film that traffics in queer trauma. A film that involves plenty of queer trauma. Yeah. And yeah. we we say that even though these kids don't have official sexual orientations in the film. Right. It's just a feeling it's, that you have. It's an implication as a queer, and a takeaway. Yeah, take yeah, away, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah, it's... It's, it's a good movie. 
you might not want to watch it. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a difficult one to sort of you know recommend or not recommend. I think it's very subjective. Um, but you know, on a craft level and on a performance level and right. a lot of other things, I think the movie is really great. By the way, quick correction. Sorry, the the beauty guy did not do All Quiet on the West. Oh, okay. He did Living, which we're also oh, going to be talking about right. soon. Living, up for okay. best actor. I didn't know that he made a living. Yeah. Interesting. And it's up, and, and Kazuo Shiguro is up for uh, uh, adapted screenplay. So, what should I say to you about Close? Yes or no? Well, <sighs> if you don't mind having a film spoiled, you can go read reviews. Yeah. And decide for yourself. Decide for yourself. What you think you can process. And and beyond that, but beyond it just being a, a matter of personal taste, like I'm sort of torn about how I feel about the choices that this director makes in telling right, the story. Because I know what happens in Girl, even though I haven't seen it. Yeah. And that is another traumatic thing. Yes. Without spoiling it. Um, and so it makes me wonder, you know, what kind of filmmaker is this guy planning to be will he move out of this phase of you know traumatic harmful things happening to queer characters as a queer filmmaker like he has the opportunity to tell any kind of story yeah. he wants maybe he wants to tell traumatic stories and, and i, I, I also, don't know i also wonder is this a generational thing because this guy i, I like i looked at he was born in 1991 which yes. is three years after i came out right which means he, by the time he was like 20, right? you know, it was the 2010s. So this guy is more generation Will and Grace than like well, AIDS. Whatever movie. happened in Belgium that was Will and Grace. Sure, but you know what I'm okay. saying. Yeah. Like he was, you know, it, it, the, 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 the movies that, that, that have sort of given us a callus about this sort of thing and, uh-huh. you know, were way before his time. Right. And so like maybe he, he thinks that there's an open door for this sort of thing because we aren't constantly having to like, you know, duck our heads for movies that are going to pop us out. I don't know. We're still in a world where a lot of queer filmmaking indulges in sorrow. I suppose. And I wouldn't blame anyone who didn't want to see this. I wouldn't blame anyone who didn't want to see girl. And I say that as someone who hasn't seen girl. Um, and I don't really know that I have an intention of going back and watching no. Girl just so I can know. Yeah. Um, I heard enough yeah. from trans critics who I trust. Critics and, and, and friends who were like, nope, not that one. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, uh, y'all are on your own. Yeah. At <laughs> with your this own, movie. At your own risk. Yeah. Would you like to hear some letters? I would. Before we uh, eat some dinner? Yes. Hey, it's from Dr. Steve. Oh, okay. Hey, Dr. Steve. How's it going? You all know about up-talking. Sorry, up-talking? <laughs> and vocal. Vocal fry. Vocal fry. But when are we going to start talking about the extended syllable? At least that's what I'm calling it. In the last year, I've noticed many actors, especially in comedic roles, can no longer just say no. Instead, they will intone, no, (laughs) with an extra uh at the end. Sometimes they'll add it to another one-syllable word as well. 
Have you noticed this, or is it just me? For the record, I first noticed this from Nicole Byer on Grand Crew, and most notably, most recently from Madeline Klein in Glass Onion. I, you know, I think it is, like so many vocal tics, uh, a way to fill in the gap while you're thinking of the next thing you're going to say. So maybe the extended syllable is the new like. Or an uh. Or uh. I'm a big, I'm a big uh. Yeah. Please, I, please don't count the number of times I say uh. I, I, have, a, I, re, I really mostly tried to, have tried to break myself of like. Sometimes it still slips out when I'm like, just British, now, for example. For example, when I feel stressed or trying to, you know, come with something off the cuff. But I used to do it a lot more. I've, I've seen, there are some old what the flicks that are are very hard to watch. <laughs> uh, next letter. Oh, hello. It's from Doctor Steve oh, again. Okay. To me, the biggest unsolved mysteries in the Benoit Blanc stories are those outrageous southern accents. (laughs) They are so cartoonish. I keep thinking they're a clue of some sort. (laughs) Or maybe just the mystery series' biggest red herring. What do you say? Does Daniel Craig need a better dialogue coach, or is this simply part of the fun? I say it's simply part of the fun. Yeah, I think he knows exactly what he's doing. I think he watched a lot of Foghorn Leghorn uh, cartoons and decided to go for it. You know, and the the idea that you have... A southern detective with a French name played by a British actor. It's just like, right. you know, he is, he's everywhere and My nowhere. name is Beauregard, blah, blah, blah. Well, I mean, yeah. it's kind of the same voice he does in Logan Lucky, right? Uh, I forget. He's doing some kind of crazy corn pone in that one. So, next letter. <laughs> Did you do this intentionally? <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's our old friend, Dr. Steve. Again. Look, they were stacking up. I didn't want to feel like we were ignoring him. Uh, he has things to say about Megan. Mm. We all do. Sure. About how great she is. Of course. Yeah. If you're going to build a self aware android that could potentially turn into a murder robot, the first thing you program into the firmware is Isaac Asimov's Three Laws of Robotics. Well, Number you, one. You would think. Number one, a a robot may not injure a human being or, through inaction, allow a human being to come to harm. Number two, a robot must obey orders given it by human beings except where such orders would conflict with the first law. Number three, a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second law. Come on, people, this is not new information. P.S. As a general general rule, I do not watch horror movies, especially if they are graphically violent or gory, but I saw Megan because of your recommendation. Totes fun. Do you think Marnie for Resurrects has read Isaac Asimov? I don't know. Thank you for (laughs) resurrecting the word totes. Thank you. And um, I think the whole point of Megan is that, uh, uh, you know, they were working out the the robot bugs. She was a 1.0. She was a, yeah. And in the sequel, oh. <laughs> even more things will happen. Exactly. Well, I want more dancing. Well, ideally, yeah. I want a lot more dancing in the in the sequel. There was a, some good dancing that yes. Megan did uh, in this film. And if y'all have not seen the Aubrey Plaza SNL Megan Two spoof ad, I highly recommend it. Yep. 
And now we're done. We are done. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, we have a Patreon at patreon.com slash linoleumknife. And for all of January, we have made all of our subscriber-only shows available to the general public. So if you go to patreon.com slash linoleumknife, you can hear Linoleum Knife presents more Linoleum Knife, which is a show where we dig into one single movie at length. Linoleum, uh, LKTV, uh, a podcast of the television. Linoleum Knife and Fork, a food podcast hosted by two film critics. Linoleum Nights, where uh, we talk about anything and everything and drop some swears if we yeah. feel like it. Classic. And so, yeah, all of that is waiting for you at patreon.com slash linoleumknife. Check out those shows if you enjoy them. Maybe you'll want to become a subscriber and get them on the regular. Uh, you can also hear me on the other podcast that I do, Breakfast All Day with Christy Lemire, which is a podcast and a YouTube show, uh, Maximum Film on the Maximum Fun Network, and I pop in on Mondays on Deck the Hallmark to talk about... Uh, t- right now we're covering 2022 non-Hallmark, non-Lifetime Christmas movies. So uh, that's taking us in all kinds of crazy directions, and I hope you'll enjoy those. And um, you can uh, subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts. If you leave us a five-star review there, we will read it on the show. Uh, You can also leave us positive feedback in the many places that we stream, including Stitcher Radio and uh, Spotify and uh, uh, Google Play and Amazon Music and iHeartRadio and all those kind of things. Um, Thank you, Blue, for our wonderful theme music. Uh, See what he's up to at Bluetopia, sorry, at blueblu.bandcamp.com. Follow us on the social media at linoleumcast. Drop us a line at linoleumpodcast at gmail.com with questions or comments. Thanks for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week with probably another long episode because we've yeah. got a lot of catching There's up to the, do. We have things to catch up on still. So, uh, so I have things to catch up on still. In, indeed. That you've seen and I'm, you know. You're getting there. That's I'm, what I'm, I'm, Yeah, yeah. Until next time. Goodbye. <laughs>